0: Welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. Thanks for connecting with us. To discover more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz. May this message be an encouragement to you. This morning we will be delving into the well-known gospel parable of the lamp. Um, My friend tells me, as per the Sunday school song, let this uh, little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. When I had the opportunity to choose a parable for today, this one resonated with me instantly. Speaking for myself and possibly for many of us, if there's ever a year in which representing the light of Christ has been most challenging, it was this last one. So here we are coming again out of the festive season, adjusting and refocusing ourselves for this year to come, in which many, if not all of us, have placed great hope and expectation. Um, I really love this idea of refocusing and repositioning ourselves, as this is what I believe this parable is about. It's about us stepping aside and letting God and His light shine in and through us. I believe this is the essence of our calling as Christ followers, and over this time together, I'd really like to share um, some learnings that I've taken from this year, and we'll do that through three main concepts. So first we, firstly, we'll look at the birth of the light, secondly, the revelation of the light, and thirdly, the hope of the light. But before proceeding any further, let us pray. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that we can freely gather today and praise and worship you without fear or persecution. Even though there is much unseen sadness and contrasting joys in the lives of this church, family, nation, and world, thank you for who you are and that through you we harbor a hope that many do not know. Give us a fresh revelation this morning. In your precious name we pray, amen. This parable, I believe, is the calling of Jesus for us to be salt and light, to examine ourselves against a kingdom perspective and pursue Jesus, the light, in order to represent his kingdom of light to the world. We can read this parable in three out of the four gospels, so it shows itself in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I believe this furthermore consolidates its significance through these three separate accounts. There are parts of these separate accounts that are almost word for word of which Jesus clearly wanted emphasized, and you'll see those underlined as we read through shortly. So before we get into this parable itself, I just want us to do a a quick recap of the larger context around this time in Jesus' ministry, just so that we don't miss the interweaving of his message here. So we pick up at the start of the New Testament in Matthew. This is talking about the lineage of Christ, Jesus and his younger years, and then it feels like we jump forward to Jesus at age 30, starting his earthly ministry. He's been baptized by John, he's been tempted in the wilderness, He's called his disciples to follow him and he has commenced his healing ministry, performing miracles and news is spreading throughout the land. Could this be the Messiah we've been waiting for? Where we pick up this morning, Jesus is in Galilee. He sees people gathered on a hillside and he goes up to speak. Now having come from Taranga, when I read this part, I automatically picture a mountain called Mount Jury. So it's very close to Mount Monganui. It's a beautiful hill and it's got man-made staircases overlooking the ocean. And I could just imagine sitting there with many others surrounding Jesus, listening to him speak. So if we translate that image for ourselves into Galilean, and Jesus would be speaking from Matthew. So following Jesus' call for us to be salt and light, we'll first read the account of Matthew the tax collector, the disciple of Jesus in Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16. I'm reading from the Amplified. You are the light of Christ to the world. So there's our calling. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine, and the Passion Translation exclaims, don't hide your light before men in such a way that they may see your good deeds and moral excellence and recognize and honor and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Secondly, we can read the account of Mark, who's believed to be a disciple of Peter, in which he gained much of his accounts of Jesus' ministry. Reading from Mark 4, verses 21. And he said to them, a lamp is not brought in to be put under a basket or a bed, is it? Is it not brought in to be put on the lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor anything being kept secret, but that it would come to light. That is, things are hidden only temporarily until the appropriate time for them to become known. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear and heed my words. And thirdly, we will read the account of Luke, a Holy Spirit-inspired physician and companion of the Apostle Paul, reading from Luke chapter 8, verses 16. Now, no one lights a lamp and then covers it with a container to hide it, or puts it under a bed. Instead, he puts it on a lampstand so that those who, make, who come in may see the light. For there is nothing that will not become evident, nor anything secret that will not become known and come out into the open. So be careful how you listen, for whoever has a teachable heart, to him more understanding will be given, and whoever does not have a longing for truth Even what he thinks he has will be taken away from him. So let's examine our first concept, the birth of the light. Turning first to John chapter one, verses three to five, I'll read this from the message translation and we examine the concept of the birth of the light. And we read, everything was created through him, nothing, not one thing came into being without him. What came into existence was life, and the life was light to live by. The life light blazed out of the darkness, and the darkness couldn't put it out. Note here that the darkness preceded the light being introduced. I want to read us um, a little paradigm snippet from the book of Mysteries by Jonathan Kahn. Um, so feel free to have a look on the screen as we read. It's called The Night and Day Paradigm. There was no lesson that day, but in the middle of the night he came into my room and he woke me. Come, said the teacher, it's time for a lesson, we're going outside. I was half asleep and not thrilled at the idea, but of course I complied. He led me to a hill where we sat in the darkness of night. Which comes first, he asked, the day or the night? The day, I answered, night comes when the day is over. That's what most people would say, and that's how most people in the world see it. Day leads to night, but that's not how God sees it. What do you mean, I asked. If the day leads to night, then everything goes from light to darkness. Everything gets darker, everything is in the process of darkening, and so is the way of the world. We go from day to night, from youth to aging, from strength to weakness, and ultimately from life to death. From day to night, it's the way of the world, but it's not the way of God. When God created the universe, it was not day and night, for it is written in Genesis, there was night and then there was day. In God, it is the night that comes first. So that's why Jewish holidays always begin at sunset. Yes, and not just Jewish holidays, but every biblical day. Each day begins at sunset, there is evening, and then there is morning. The world moves from day to night, but in God it is the opposite. It goes from night to day, from darkness to light. The children of this world live from day to night, but the children of God live from night to day. They are born again in the darkness and they move into the day. And if you belong to God, then this is the order of your life. You are to go from darkness into light, from weakness to strength, from despair to hope, from guilt to innocence, from tears to joy, and from death to life. And every night in your life will lead to the dawn. So live according to God's sacred order of time, that your entire life be always moving from darkness but into the light. And as he said those words, the first light of daybreak appeared, and the night began yielding to the day. So now that we understand the order of light, let's just take a little bit of time to explore the practicalities of a lamp. So we can probably all agree that action must be taken to move from darkness into light, which is the ultimate goal, right? So these days, we must flick a switch, press a button, or previously light an oil wick, in which case we must have a way to generate light, so we must have power, batteries, or flammable liquids such as oil. So let's just keep this need for action in the back of our minds for a moment as we examine the symbolism of the lamp and what that means for us. So in early cultures, the oil-burning lamp was commonly used to illuminate the home, the work, and even oil-burning lighthouses' lights. It always held huge symbolic significance across a multitude of religions, from the Greeks using it to ceremoniously honor their gods, or Judaism to lighten the way for the righteous, the wise, and positive values. In Christianity, it symbolizes eternal life, the light of divinity, wisdom, intellect, and good works. The lamp was, and is, a pinnacle symbol of self-sacrifice as the flame consumes the oil, essentially sacrificing itself to offer light. I don't know about you, but to me this sounds incredibly similar to the life of Jesus, the sacrificial light of the world. It is through his sacrifice that we can have personal access to the light, the Spirit and the Father when we receive Jesus. So preparing for today, I really loved researching the different Hebrew meanings of words, and this by far was one of my favorite as I examined the meaning behind the word light. So in Hebrew, it literally translates to Yeshua, the light that cannot be hidden. We can see here that light is undeniably pointing directly towards Jesus, the light of the world. Spiritually speaking, Jesus is light. He is our way to the light. And in John 8 verses 12 reads, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, that will have the light of life. So coming back again to this need for action, the oil in the lamp has to be used up for the light to shine. The oil of the Spirit of God within us has to be used and lit for the light to become evident in our lives. Within this parable, Jesus talks metaphorically about not hiding our lamp under certain objects. So let's just quickly examine them to gain his true meaning. So firstly, he mentions a bushel. So a bushel is an object commonly used to cover or put out the oil lamp at the end of the day. It essentially plunges the lamp into the darkness and extinguishes the capacity for it to give light. The bushels in our lives could be a number of things. It could be busyness, work, religion, and in essence, anything that keeps us distracted from God. Secondly, he mentions a basket. So a basket in Jesus' day was commonly used to carry flour and essential ingredients, the essential, essential things of life. It is written to be symbolic of the day-to-day things of the world that can, we can prioritize as more important than the light. And thirdly, Jesus talks about a bed. So a bed is symbolic of human pleasures and temptation that distract us and draw us away from the light. This parable and the contrasts it holds to our lives and priorities today has transcended through the ages and could be argued to be even more relevant today in this increasingly busier world than ever. Coming back again to our action point, there must be an action taken and can only taken by us to bring our lamps out out from under the bushels, baskets and beds of our lives to place it on the lampstand and ensure it stays lit. So secondly, let's examine the revelation of the light. So from the beginning of sin in Adam and Eve, the revelation of their nakedness and sin exposed their previous light and righteousness. Essentially, they didn't know how good they had it until it was gone. When Adam and Eve sinned, we read that they tried to hide themselves and we can see here the power in revelation and the casting of God's light over sin. This is the ultimate message of the gospel that without Jesus, without his life and death, paving the way for the Spirit of God to come and dwell within us, his work could not be done nor his kingdom come. For it is only now that we are living in the light that we can see that we were living in darkness. It's only now that we know perfect love that we know that we were living in fear. So I was sitting in a meeting earlier last year, so it's the same meeting I went to, 9.30 every morning. Once the formal part of the meeting was over, myself and my colleagues had our usual little life chat. We did this frequently to keep ourselves grounded as a team. We took just 10 minutes to talk about what was important in each of our lives outside of the work treadmill. Now, one of my colleagues has extensively studied and now taught yoga, and over the last three years of our collegiality, a few of my other colleagues had joined her, received lessons, and were regularly displaying an increasing interest. This particular day of conversation, I found myself becoming kind of irritated by this ongoing discussion, the interest and the involvement of my colleagues. I spent some time examining myself to realise that what was irritating me was that they were becoming more and more open and interested to the concept of you know, yoga, meditation, and the spiritual level that that also built, brought. How come they weren't becoming that interested in Jesus, church, and Christianity? Same concept, just different sides of the coin, right? They didn't necessarily think that I'd been quiet about my faith, and I'd, th- I'd spent three years as their colleague behaving as what I'd hoped to be as a reasonably stand-up Christian but it got me thinking that although my lamp was lit, maybe it was under a basket and not on a lampstand. My younger brother, who often and very regularly humbles me with his wisdom, once said to me, you know what people love by who and what they talk about. What we love becomes evident within the first time we meet someone as we can't not talk about what we love and appreciate. If we love and intrinsically believe in something or someone, nothing can stop this from being known to those around me, around us. So although i talked about my faith, it wasn't with the passion, the zest, inclusivity, and excitement that my colleague had talked about her yoga. And so if my lamp was then metaphorically under a basket, did this mean that I was keeping to myself the greatest gift that God had meant for them? And I was reminded at this point the words of Paul in Philippians 1, verses 21, when he said, to live is Christ, and to die to self is gain. Now these ladies are just a few of those who come to mind for me, who I desperately want to feel the joy, the freedom, and the purpose of knowing Jesus as their saviour. The internal complex, or the revelation that I came to at this point, was If I'm the only Christian that they will come into contact before they go from the worldly life to death, have they seen enough of Jesus in me, enough of his light to want it for themselves? And if not, then there's nothing, no friendship, nothing that I had worth losing, not to have put the light of the world on my lampstand so that they may have come to know him personally. And looking back, I don't know, maybe I could have done things differently. Maybe I could have rested in the words of David from Psalms 27 verses one when he says, and he writes, the Lord is my light and my salvation. In whom should I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom should I be afraid? Now hiding our lamp under a bushel or a basket is one thing, but let's examine this revelation concept literally. So if I'm figuratively holding a lamp, it lights my path, so it exposes what's ahead. Notice that it doesn't reveal what is behind me that stays in the shadows. No matter which way I turn or hold the lamp, I would not be able to expose the full space around me as I'm holding it close to myself. Metaphorically speaking, I would not, metaphorically speaking, the light I hold in or on me illuminates only what I choose to walk towards and what I allow to be seen of me. It doesn't pay attention to the darkness that lies behind because I'm striving, I'm stepping into the light. Now if we hold that thought there a minute, we'll take this even a further step. So when I put my lamp on a lampstand and step back, this now illuminates the whole room and myself. It is not only I now that can see the revelation of the surroundings and the whole of me, but others in the vicinity. So let's just bring this into an everyday situation. When we invite guests over, unless we have a very legitimate excuse of young children, those we care give for, or even pets, though not to compare the three, we generally do a quick tidy up before they get there, right? Quick table, ru- uh, table wipe, toilet scrub, Pillow straighten? God forbid the hair and the light shines on the fully, fully formed dust bunnies that we haven't dusted off the shelves or the crumbs that we've quickly swept under the rug? Why do you think it is that we do that? Is it because we are vulnerable to the thoughts and opinions of the ones faced with the revelation of our home? Can this not be contrasted to our intrinsic states, our attitudes, our grace, our patience, self-control and love for others? In faith, I have to trust that the lampstand will not only hold my lamp and keep it safe, but that what the light exposes is what I want others to see. I wouldn't invite someone over for dinner and just sit there with the lights off because my house was messy. I have a choice. I would want to be sure and confident of the state of my house as to expose it to the light in others. And I feel it's important to acknowledge once again that this is not about us, but Him and His light. C.S. Lewis writes and so eloquently sums this up when he says, don't shine so that others can see you, shine so that through you others can see Him. At some point, we're all going to stand face to face with the Lord, flooded by his revelation light, and it's going to leave no shadow. The revelation of the states of us will take place, and with this image regularly in mind, I challenge myself, and you're more than welcome to join me. Why would I wait to meet Jesus face to face before I face the revelation and state of my heart and mind? Just like in my home, I wouldn't wait for people to come over to a mess before I suddenly realized that I should have tidied. Is eternity not worth preparing well for? Remembering the words of Luke in chapter eight, verses 17, in this parable, he says, there is nothing hidden that will not become evident. And there is so much more for us to gain than to lose in this revelation light. And thirdly, let's look at the concept of the hope of the light. Now we know that many of us have experienced great loss, great death and suffering. We all know darkness to some degree, and this concept of light and hope is almost incomprehensible for some. Some of us may still be in this space right now, or maybe are starting to see a glimpse of the light. And I want us to remember today that there is hope, that there must be first darkness for light to be introduced and that God moves from darkness into light and he bathes our light, uh, our darkness with light and we can trust that he is good. We can trust that his light is good and that he is our stronghold and our shield. He is and he will fight our battles for us if we rest in him. Put that lamp on the stand and trust that all things are possible through him and not through us. And again, we can be assured of God's faithfulness when we step up boldly in Hebrews 10, verses 23. And we read, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised his faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards good deeds and love. What I've taken from these parables is that there is no other way to press forward but through Jesus, that he is the light within us and that without him we are merely human, that ultimately it's not about us, our appearance, our possessions, our accomplishments, but simply him. The first verse of the song in Christ Alone comes to mind for me. And it sings, in Christ alone, my hope is found, for he is my light, my strength, and my song. I'd like to just wrap this message up with some practical steps to actioning Jesus' call within this parable. And the first would be for us to keep our lamps lit. Psalm 119, verses 105, reads that, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And in verse 130, goes on to say that the entrance of God's word, of his word, gives light. So let's delve into his word. This is the oil to our lamps. If you're not a reader, you know, you've got podcasts, watching um, music. I watch um, a podcast, usually Joyce Meyer, every morning because my attention span is very short for reading. And I've found that that just starts my day and bathes me in, in God's light moving out into the day. The word of God is transformative. The Greek word for transforms is metamorphio. So in Greek, this didn't necessarily um, relate to that of a caterpillar to a butterfly, but that of an inner transformation. And Paul talks about this in Romans 7 verses 22 when he says how the inner man delights in God's law. And in 2 Corinthians 4 verses 16, even though our outer person gradually wears out, Our inner being is being renewed every single day, and this renewing is the oil of our lamps being replenished. Secondly, keep hope. The lamps and the lighthouse's purpose is revelation and hope. Let's bring the hope of our God-ordained future forward and release our memories and our past. And I love what Paul wrote to the Philippians in chapter three, verses 13, where he says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The devil can only use our past, he has no control over our God-ordained future. Lisa Bevere once preached that if the devil is using our past to hurt us or haunt us, to take heart and hope because the devil is threatened and God is moving. I like to think of it this way for myself. The bigger the attack, the greater that God has planned. And thirdly, deal with what the light has revealed. Are we receiving the revelation of Christ's light into our personal darkness? To have a lamp lit and closed eyes is not going to work. Our eyes must be open to what the light from the lamp has revealed, and we must be vigilant to keep our lives, our thoughts, our actions bathed in God's light. If there's something in our paths, then maybe we're holding our lamps too tightly and allowing more shadows than necessary. No matter how uncomfortable the revelation, let's acknowledge it. Let's place our lamps on the stand and bring it all into the light of Christ. I know for myself, I've previously found myself ashamedly and awkwardly praying, Lord, I know you know my past, my thoughts and my failures. I return them to the foot of the cross. Thank you for your light that stamps out my darkness. And what I've learned is that this this repentance brings me back into the light of revelation. And that light resonates in us and the boldness of Christ in us then can return. His power, His power is then made strong in our weakness. So we need not fear. His perfect love drives out fear. Now I'm a very determined woman and have to laugh sometimes because to do what I've just described is to essentially acknowledge that I can't do this on my own. And God just patiently waits for me to remember that. This parable doesn't necessarily call us to stand out, but it does call us to stand up, to have positioned ourselves for His light to be seen. Could the music team please join me? I believe that the meaning of this parable may be one of the greatest callings and challenges for those who call ourselves children of God and who are grafted into this amazing lineage And oh, what an honor and what a calling it is. Pastor Stephen Furtick of Elevation Church in America said last year that we're coming into a time where everything that can be shaken will be shaken, so that what cannot be shaken will remain. We must be firm in the foundation of our lampstand, rooted in Christ. So let me just finish with the scripture from Ephesians 5, verses eight to 14, in which Paul is writing to the Ephesians church. And when I read this, I decided that I'd take this up as my own personal challenge, and you're more than welcome to join me. Once your life was full of sin's darkness, but now you have the very light of our Lord shining through you because of your union with him. Your mission is to live as children flooded with his revelation light and the supernatural fruits of his light will be seen in you, goodness, righteousness, and truth. Then you will learn to choose what is beautiful to our Lord, and don't even associate with the servants of darkness because they have no fruit in them. Instead, reveal truth to them. Whatever the revelation light exposes, it will also correct, and everything that reveals truth is light to the soul. This is why the scripture says, Arise, you sleeper, rise up from your coffin, and the anointed one will shine his light into you. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz.